This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by two the two leaders of the population health efforts at Advocate Health. Advocate Health is one of the largest systems in the country today. Uh, it's also it has a great population health track record. Um, I've watched it most closely in the Chicago and the Illinois, Wisconsin region, uh, but also now in the southeast as well. Uh, we've got Don Kilcagno and Terry Williams joining us. I'll start by asking Don and Terry to introduce themselves. Don and Terry, can you take a moment to introduce yourselves? Then we'll talk about trends in population health, what you're seeing today, biggest focus for the coming year, and a lot more. Don, can you take a moment to start, and then Terry, I'll ask you to do the same. Great. Thanks, Scott. Uh, appreciate you having us today. We're very excited to share some of the population work health that we're doing at Advocate Health. Uh, my name is Don Calcagno. I'm Senior Vice President, Chief Population Health Officer for Value Operations for Advocate Health. Um, I come out of the uh, Midwest, so out of the Chicago area, where I'm also president of Advocate Physician Partners, which is one of our uh, large, sophisticated, clinically integrated networks. So thrilled to be here and share some of our views. Thank you. And Terry, you're from uh, the, the Charlotte area or uh, Wake Forest. Tell us about about yourself. Yes. Hey, good morning, uh, Terry Williams. So I, I do live in North Carolina. China, originally with the Southeast region, had been Chief Strategy Officer at Wake Forest Baptist and started the Population Health Program about 10 years ago as a part of the responsibilities then. And uh, I also have a role, so my uh, specifically as uh, Chief Population Health Officer for Partnerships and Strategy, I'm focusing on how we are working with a lot of different entities across our markets. We'll talk a little bit in a moment, but we've got about 2.3 million lives that are in value-based contracts across our markets. Another type of partnership is what we're doing with academic organizations, uh, one of which is the Wake Forest School of Medicine. And we will talk a little bit more about some of the really innovative work that's happening there as well. And thank you for having us. Well, thank you very, very much. And Terry, why don't we start there? with some of the innovative work you're doing and, and, and so forth and what you've seen over the last couple of years and what trends you're following, give us a little bit of a greater sense of what you're saying. Sure. So, you know, a, a couple of trends that I think guide how we as senior leaders should think about what's happening in population health. One is that given that Medicare, Medicaid, CMS uh, have committed that they want really close to 100% of patients in in some type of contract that's at risk by the year 2030, then that means that the work that's happening in population health is not just a project or actually, I love uh, Don's quote, he, he said, oh, this isn't a side hustle for us. This is something that is that we're very committed to day in and day out. And we believe it's fundamental to not only the value we deliver for patients, but as a part of uh, succeeding and um, in, the, in the future. Another things that I'll highlight are, you know, CMS is really focused on developing programs for entities that they believe have staying power and are not short-termers. So in some of the, the latest programs, for example, ACO Reach, it specifically had rules that made set bar high. Some entities that might have had uh, or private equity funding, for example, didn't qualify because CMS, again, really wants people that are 
committed to be in markets across an extended period of time. And, and so that's a trend as we look at what's happening and as people are engaging physician practices around the country and as they're working with patients, we think it's important that we're, as we're forming partnerships, that we're doing this in a way with a lot of like-valued entities that will that we can really work closely together to improve care. And my final thing I'll say is that in the School of Medicine, one example of the innovative work is something that we call the Electronic Frailty Index. So we have lots of patients that are um, eight, uh, you know, more aged and number of which are in Medicare Advantage. And the single best predictor we know, it's an algorithm that uses 52 data elements for Purdue for predicting future utilization of patients is this electronic frailty index. So that's an example of taking something straight from a school of medicine that's been researched across years and embedded it practically in our population health agenda. Thank you very much. And, and, and Don, take a moment on any follow-up to what Terry's speaking about in terms of trends that you're watching and so forth. Then I'll ask you sort of what you're most focused on at Advocate Health and the two of you will comment on that. Yeah, no, great, Scott. Uh, just to follow on some of Terry's comments, if, if you continue looking at the, the Medicare items that Terry was talking about, right, we, we know Medicare wants to move everybody into these risk contracts. But the other thing we're very keenly aware and focused on at Advocate, as well as others are, is this whole concept of health equity. Um, so Terry mentioned that the um, CMMI came out with the ACO REACH program. Um, Advocate Health is one of the few uh, IDNs in the country that actually has a REACH uh, program. In fact, we have two. So in the Midwest, uh, we had uh, a global cap REACH that we did prior to the merger. And then in the Southeast, um, we did one in, with a professional. So for those that aren't familiar, REACH is essentially MSSP with a heavy focus on, um, uh, on health equity. So we know health equity, it's a big paramount importance to our board. It's things that we talk about a lot as an organization, but we also know Medicare is very clear. They're going to put that into all of their programs. So I think focusing on health equity and advocate health is also uh, building a national center on health equity. So a lot of focus there. Um, the other thing I call out in the Medicare space is, you know, right, we're, we're reaching a tipping point where there's going to be more people over 65 than there are people under 65. And that means a lot of focus on senior care. And that's at the same time that Medicare Advantage is under a lot of pressure, right? Um, you saw the uh, risk coding changes uh, with V28. You saw the Inflation Reduction Act that put severe pressure on payers on the Part D uh, drug piece. And then you've seen more patient experience expanding on the MA-STAR. Um, so we as IDNs need to figure out how can we meet all those needs, uh, do it in an economically sustainable way, and make the care better for our patients. Um, I think that model is going to put more pressure on private equity-based entities um, because a lot of their success has been on some of the attributes that are less quality-focused. So, so I think that's a big thing. And then when you talk about the future and things we're focused on, um, we're really focused on building the best population health platform, period. And when we think about that, a lot of what we've seen is some IDNs uh, consider CMMI work what, what I call a side hustle. You know, and my definition of a side hustle is if you don't budget for it, if you don't uh, take these programs in, learn from them and apply them to your own shared savings contracts, right? It's just something you're doing on the side of the table. We firmly believe IDNs need to not make it a side hustle. It needs to be part of their operating model, if you will. So as we build our platform, what we're focused on is how do we build this continuum? We don't want a bunch of point solutions. We don't want one thing that solves for diabetes, one thing that solves for renal care. 
But the way patients present to us is they're polychronic. They don't just have diabetes. They have diabetes and chronic kidney disease and hypertension, et cetera. So, so to us, it's really how do we build the platform that's going to serve patients, no matter if they're on the uh, exchange or if they're in a commercial fully insured contract or if they're in Medicare Advantage, how do we make sure we have the solution that's going to make it easy for our clinicians to do their best work and best for the patient to get the highest quality, lowest cost of care? Thank you very much. And it's clear that Advocate Health has not treated population health as a side hustle. It's been a core focus for a very long time, was way out in front of it, in fact. Take a moment, Terry, to comment further. And as you look at 2024, what are you most excited about? What are you most focused on going into the next year? Sure, I'll highlight a couple of things. So uh, one of the areas that shows how CMS is continuing to evolve and innovate is a new program that was just released in the last uh, 45 days or so called GUIDE. GUIDE is a, a program that was specifically designed to provide support, additional support to caregivers and additional infrastructure for caregivers that are at, really at home taking care of patients with cognitive decline or dementia, for example. That is a fundamental change in the way funds flow works. It's a fundamental recognition that families who have somebody that is, has, that is facing a cognitive decline of some type, maybe even Alzheimer's, that um, it's a very strong burden on the patient. And so one of the things that uh, makes us excited about this, uh, our School of Medicine was involved in the original research the last three or four years with four places around the country that developed the research that said what really matters to make a difference in these patients' lives and in the caregivers' lives. That research was then studied by uh, straight by uh, CMS as it was being developed, and that's what fed the guide program. This is a pretty high bar to be in the program, but we are applying and expect to be this next year, and then we will scale that across our markets, across six states. Our plan would be to scale that over the next two or three years because we believe thousands of lives will be made better. Um, it will deliver on higher quality and um, ultimately should uh, lower cost because of what happens with these patients that aren't able to be treated as proactively. Um, often family members have to give up their job to take care of them. So we think it's a win-win in many areas and it's using our strength and as a school of medicine and in scaling best practices across many markets that'll benefit a lot of lives. One other that I'll highlight that I'm excited about is we've put a lot of work into at our scale, if we can um, pilot new ideas in 50 and 70 areas simultaneously, learn from those areas, and then move what's working to other markets, that's a very important capability. And if you think about the statistic that's been sort of academically derived in the last several years, that the time from discovery in this country of new medical science to spread of the idea is actually 17 years. That's, that's breathtakingly slow. And we have said we will be a fraction of that. And so we have teams of people that are monitoring the literature. In many cases, we may be developing the best practices ourselves and then developing these teams working together at highly effective ways to be able to move from medical knowledge discovery to deploying across to benefit our physicians, our caregivers that are taking care of these patients, and ultimately patients who can rest knowing that they have the very best breakthrough in um, care. And so whether that's using uh, digital tools, or it's a new, uh, whether it's uh, thinking about how we're, you know, some of the breakthroughs that are at the 
cellular level. Uh, these can be very macro or micro, but our systems are being set up to let us to really be nimble at doing that, engaging people. And um, so we're excited about that. It's fantastic. You mentioned so many different things besides the guide program, the acceleration concept of moving things relatively quickly. That 17-year number uh, from science to practice is a startling number, quite frankly. You've also talked about the comprehensive platform, comprehensive approach, not trying to go point of care solutions on every single thing, but more and more trying to scale things in a comprehensive approach. Don, you also mentioned the Medicare Advantage programs, and, and this is the first year where the Medicare Advantage program has been more than 50% of Medicare. It, it's probably also the first year that's come over, come across a larger amount of criticism than it had previously. Any thoughts on the future of Medicare Advantage? Is this ultimately where things are going, or will there be some some stop, slowdown of the growth in Medicare Advantage? Do you have a feel for that? You know, it, there's obviously a lot of uh, um, politics around that, but my, my view is Medicare Advantage is, is, is here to stay, and, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why I think so. It is When you look at the way the Medicare Advantage program is structured, it, it does one of the things that it gets rid of one of the problems in healthcare and it brings the payer and the provider closer together, right? Because in order to achieve um, high Medicare Advantage stars, you get additional premium as a result. So we're, we're truly aligned in trying to do what's right for the patient. Um, second, you look at it and you say, hey, um, all these what's called supplementary, uh, mandatory supplemental benefits. So things like gyms, or getting uh, eyeglasses, et cetera. Those are good for the patients. The problem that has to be solved for is uh, Medicare Advantage does cost more than fee-for-service Medicare. And so that's what CMS has to figure out. And then there's other problems that pop up from time to time. Like I say, us and the payers are more aligned, but you can't pick up um, a trade journal without seeing, you know, some of our payers are applying AI and denying care, right? So th th there are... Um, bad things that happen that have to be cleaned up. But I do think MA is a good program. It just, it's got to be in line with the cost of uh, fee-for-service Medicare. And we need to continue to have vehicles where the payer and the provider are aligned. And I think that produces a lot better value for the patient. Thank you. And, and Terry, any follow-up comments on either Medicare Advantage? It sounds like you're very aligned as the system on this comprehensive value-based approach to, to taking care of large populations. Any of your thoughts on Medicare Advantage or anything else that's top of mind for you folks? Sure, um, yeah, I wanna break apart that Medicare Advantage in terms of the way it's structured often for patients to create proactive engagement of in, and changes in their behavior, whether it's, um, you know, re regular exercise routines or having annual wellness visits, those are good and healthy things. Where the, the challenge comes is when the level of denials is as high as it is instead of creating administrative processes and, and, and really working with providers around, you know, protocols that are um, reliable and evidence-based. There, there's a lot of real uh, challenging situations for families and caregivers because of this denial rate being so exceptionally high. And I, I trust you've read headlines on those that are showing this is actually a national trend. And so if we could actually focus on the good parts of Medicare Advantage, I agree with Don, 
Um, having programs that have goal alignment and risk in them are, are here to stay and reducing some of the more negative elements and that would really be a, a, a beneficial thing for you know patients and having a predictable environment and for the providers that are really working to meet their needs and and not have nearly the administrative uh, burden that currently exists with some of the products. Thank you. Let me give you guys each 30, 30 60 seconds each. Don, anything else you'd like to share with the audience today? And then Terry, I'll come back to you with the same question. Yeah, you know, one, one of the things that uh, Terry and I are privileged to be in the roles we're in is um, we're at that point where we can do a lot of good for patients and uh, make it rewarding for the IDN. So when Advocate or Atrium came together, we had six pledges. And of those six pledges, four of them squarely land in the area Terry and I focused on clinical preeminence and safety health equity, affordability, learning and discovery. And so as we go deep in there, one of the things that I think Terry and I are equally excited about is, you know, how do we do better things with data? And, you know, we have to say AI, Scott, right? Because everyone's talking about AI, but there's a, actually a great use case for AI in, in the realm of using data and population also. How do we use that to point our resources in the right spot? Um, we're focused a lot on interoperability where there's a lot of um, physicians on Epic right now there's a lot of small practices that are on the variety, up to um, 40 different EMRs. And so with CMS pushing interoperability, how do we get that data out to make it easier for that physician to be a physician? Because I think what people lose uh, in some of this value-based work is it's all about our front line. It's our strength of our providers, our pharmacists, our nurses. And so how do we make their lives easier to do the right thing? And then lastly, to that end, how do we wrap services, care solutions around the physician? So if a patient can't get to the hospital or a clinic, how can we bring an APN to their home? Or how do we help make sure that somebody's getting their mammogram or colonoscopy scheduled? So that's really the heavy lifting that Terry and I are focused on as we talk about this platform. It's going to be a lot better for our patients and our physicians, and I think a win-win, frankly, for the country. And Terry, let me ask you as well, again, Terry Williams, Don Calcagno, who are jointly heading up the population health effort at one of the greatest systems in the country, one of the largest, greatest systems in the country, African Health. Terry, anything else you'd like to add to, to that as well? Yeah, the um, what I'd like to highlight is that some of the solutions that are in front of us require us to really partner in new ways and to redefine what the edges of the health or healthcare environment are. So I'll give you two examples. So we currently run the largest hospital at home program in the country, have been since the uh, pandemic began, have been providing lots of uh, information along with others to CMS on how that uh, program is really doing amazing things for patients. We also set up a joint venture that you may have read about in the last uh, year and a half with Best Buy Health to create Health Squad to be able to do remote patient monitoring and have a trusted partner that could go into homes to install that kind of technology. Those solutions are really things that our teams are leaning into. It helps us redefine where is it we're taking care of patients. It's a, equipping patients with information as well as providers that's very uh, helpful to them on a daily basis. And so as we're doing this work, I, I would say that really focusing outside the traditional thinking is where the exciting innovation space is or some of it is. And, and we really are excited about the next few years. While there's a lot of headwinds in healthcare, there's also an, an environment and an ecosystem that we're operating in where we feel like there's great support to innovate and do things that are 
you know, outside status quo and are really moving the uh, the organization and, and patients' lives forward. Thank you very much. Terry Williams, Don Calcagno, thank you so much for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Amazing what Advocate Health has accomplished in this area, and thank you for your leadership. Thank you for having us, Scott. Thank you, Scott. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.